The nail in the coffin! You know the stakes? Sunday night, for the first time in franchise history, the uh, Cavaliers are going to be playing for a championship. Welcome to the Nail in the Coffin, episode number 34. I am Tom Valentino. I am joined, as always, by Travis Uli. We are recording on a beautiful Saturday afternoon here. Trav, how you feeling? Uh, notably more positive than the last time we spoke. Uh, we, last time we came on air, everything was looking pretty bad, and uh, oh, how things have changed since then. I wasn't uh, wasn't sure if uh, the next time we came on, we were still going to have basketball to talk about. But uh, yeah, we thought it might be a post mortem by the time we got back on. Uh yeah, you know what? I'm uh, I'm happy to be wrong because uh, not only do we have no basketball, it, uh, it doesn't get much bigger than this. Uh, game seven tomorrow night, and uh, we are joined today by uh, by a guest and uh, a damn good one. Uh, Bill Bender of the Sporting News. Um, Bill's been doing a great job covering the NBA Finals, and uh, with uh, Game 7 looming tomorrow night, um, we're thrilled to have him join us. Bill, I think I saw you say online somewhere that uh, over the past couple of years, Cavs are 8-0 in the playoffs, and they're outscoring their opponents by more than uh, 20 points a game. So uh, I don't know what your Father's Day plans are looking like for tomorrow, (laughs) but uh, any chance we can start a GoFundMe today to get you out to Oakland? Tom, it's so great to hear from you. I know, you know, we you didn't mention we went to school together, which, you know, all going to the OU is great. But yeah, that was the first thing some of my buddies were texting me during the game Thursday night and saying, yeah, we got to send you to Oakland because I, I keep bringing it up. I went to all the uh, the conference finals games in Cleveland and I missed the game in Cleveland that the Cavaliers lost. So if you guys want to send me out to Oakland free of charge, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll get my butt out there. But thanks a lot. I'll tell you, if it's uh, anything like the demand for um, the tickets for the watch parties that are going to be going on uh, here downtown tomorrow night, I'm pretty sure anything that we can do that's going to improve the Cavs' odds of uh, uh, bringing this thing home, uh, people are going to be willing to write the check. So uh, let's uh, let, let's start it off. You know, Travis and I um, were uh, kind of uh, concerned because the, the last time we were on here, it was the night after Game 2. And uh, the first two games of the series were uh, pretty pretty bleak looking, and we were not sure if we were going to see uh, the series go on much longer. Um, did you ever expect this thing to get to seven games? No. Well, I not in the way it's got there. I remember telling somebody, I believe, that if uh, the Cavs lost game four, which they did, I thought the series would end in five games. But if the Cavs would have made it two to two at that point, I thought it would go seven. But – I did not anticipate the whole Draymond Green suspension, the aftermath of that, how that affected game five, and of course how the Cavs played in game six. I think LeBron, the last two games, has flipped the entire narrative of the series. As I wrote, it's gone from is Golden State the best single season team ever to is LeBron having the best NBA Finals performance ever? And that's how quickly this thing has flipped. Let's talk about Draymond. Did he uh, did he screw this thing up for the Warriors? Because it really felt like they had the Cavs dead and buried after that game four. It just looked like the Cavs were out of gas. They couldn't get anything going in that fourth quarter that night. And uh, they were dead and buried. And, and he went and got into it with LeBron at the end of that game. He gets suspended. Next thing you know, Bogut goes down in game five. 
Uh, Andre Iguodala's back looks like it's messed up in game six, and, and all of a sudden, here we are. Yeah, uh, that's one thing, Tom. And I think the other one actually is when Clay Thompson kind of hinted that this is a man's game, and then that got back to LeBron. And I, I don't know if you and Travis agree with that or not. I kind of think when LeBron heard that, he can play it off in the media however he wants, but you know, behind closed doors, that really made him mad. And he's like, I'm going to show you. And he even mentioned Clay Thompson the other night when Thompson had led that Warriors run. Who responded in the fourth quarter? It was LeBron that reels off 10 in a row. So I think those are a couple of the turning points. And obviously, Bogut's injury. This is, And you guys, you know, being Cleveland guys, you know this. This normally goes the other way around. It seems like Golden State's ca- catching all the things that are the bad breaks that can help you lose a series. Trev, uh, any thoughts on Clay Thompson and uh, poking the hornet's nest? Yeah, I think that's uh, that's. I mean, that's sort of a weird place for him to even go. Uh, in while defending a guy who has made a reputation of himself of hitting guys in the balls, um, <laughs> he's going to call out someone else for not being a man. It's sort of ironic, I thought. And I mean, if you know Clay Thompson's background, his dad was a first overall pick and uh, pretty solid NBA player. Um, the kid was born into privilege. He was born in suburban Portland. So, so it's not like he's exactly been, uh, had to, uh, you know, work for a whole lot. Obviously he's, you have to work hard to be an NBA player, but, uh, the things he's had to overcome and the things that LeBron's had to overcome are, are kind of night and day and not really comparable in the least. So I think Bill, I think you're right on. I think he, he won't tell you that he heard it and took it a little personally and took it as a challenge, but I think it absolutely did. Bill, you were down there for, uh, for game six at the queue, right? Yeah. Okay. So what was the mood like with, with these teams that the Warriors, they uh, kind of feel like they were shrugging that game off or were they, uh, did they, does it feel like the Cavs have their attention now? I think the Cavs have their attention for sure. I think the frustration boiled over in the second half, apparently, you know, it, it was just weird. I think another thing that stood out is when Steph Curry was on the podium after that, there was obviously asking him about the mouthpiece. I didn't really have a problem with him throwing his mouthpiece and getting ejected. I'm, I'm not real worried about that, but there was a lot of questions on, you know, what did LeBron say to you? Are you sweating the, the LeBron comparisons? Are you scared? Those type things. And the pressure's on the Warriors now. And whereas with LeBron, when he's on the podium with Kyrie and Tristan Thompson, he's he's pretty relaxed. He's been in this spot so many times. I mean, I put up the the story about how many times he's been in game seven. This he he's the most scrutinized athlete, I think, in my lifetime. I would say that's fair. And so he's gonna be comfortable in this spotlight. I think everybody's kind of seeing how Curry and Thompson and Golden State reacts to a gold a game seven instead. Let's talk a little bit more about LeBron right now. Can you even begin to put into perspective what he's doing here? I, I mean, the, the numbers are staggering. He's, uh, I mean, when you look at at his numbers specifically, everyone looks at him and they say, yeah, he's first in all these categories. But in some of them, the gap is huge. It's not like, it's not that he's just the best in those certain things. It's that he's the best in all of them. And in some of them, he's far better than anyone else in the series. Um, and I think back to what Bill was saying about how LeBron's been in this position. I've heard a lot of people say, um, you know, Golden State's done this before and LeBron's done it before, but you know, Kyrie and Love and those guys haven't, I don't know that that really matters. It seems like, uh, Kyrie, especially we've seen him, seen him go off this series. And the fact that LeBron is sort of putting him in that position and trusting him to do that stuff 
um, has sort of made him almost maybe forget the stakes or elevate his play because of the stakes. Bill, go ahead. It sounded like you were ready to jump into. No, yeah, I didn't mean to interrupt, but yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, it's I, I know the Jordan comparisons are, are the go-to, and I remember watching Jordan when I was in high school and, and into early college where he was just the man, and it was tough to like argue, and I'm not going to get into a Jordan versus LeBron argument because I think they're both, they're one and two in my book right now, but LeBron, the way he did this last year, he kind of did this last year with the numbers, and there was a chance last year that he would get NBA finals MVP. And I I really think even if they lose tomorrow night and he has a big game that he could get NBA finals MVP, that's how good he's been in this series. And he's been efficient that the one thing and that's something he prides himself on the efficiency that he's had against Toronto and against golden state is off the charts. That's been a huge difference compared to last year because even in the finals when he was putting up gaudy numbers, it, there was so much pressure on him because of how depleted the rest of that team was. His shooting numbers were not particularly efficient. And really, to be honest with you, it felt like for the majority of this regular season, and it wasn't really until like the last couple of weeks, I mean, he was not playing particularly efficient basketball, I don't think, for much of the year. And his shooting percentages were down. And there was a lot of talk, I felt like, about how his jumper has abandoned him and his three-point shooting was really abysmal for a lot of the year. Um, does it look like to you, Bill, that uh, he's found kind of a renewed confidence in his jump shot? Because it certainly seems like he's uh, been shooting a three-pointer at a much better rate. Yeah, I, I do think so. And, I mean, again, it's it just that efficiency. He hit one in the, uh, I think it was the early fourth quarter against Golden State the other night, and you saw him kind of do the Tiger Woods fist pump, and I was like, He's just on no matter what. And uh, again, I think that started in the, it really was there. It didn't start in the Toronto series, but I noticed it in the Toronto series. And the way that Kyrie and him have been able to play off each other has really made the difference. And I think this was you yesterday, Tom, when we were texting back and forth. And I don't don't know, you guys can weigh in it more than me. I I think that right now, the two best players on the court are LeBron and Kyrie. And And I'm comfortable saying that, which is crazy to me. I would agree with that. I, I think um, I, I was, I'm equally shocked by that because I, I felt like all along Kyrie could have a huge role in this series. But um, the thing I've noticed is he's gotten, even when he dribbles it uh, a lot, and it, that's kind of the bad habit that when, when things go south for the Cavs offense, it, you, you start hearing you know, talk about Kyrie dribbling the air out of the ball. It feels like even when he's dribbling, it's much more uh, – um, useful and, and he's going somewhere with it and it's with a purpose and um and, and he, there is some semblance of a flow to the offense um Trav what have you seen in the last couple of games that uh really have enabled the Cavs to take this thing from 3-1 to uh to get it back to uh even and enforce a game seven well I think we knew um we knew even after they went down two we it didn't look promising, but we knew that if that, that they had a chance, obviously. And the way that LeBron was playing, um, his numbers were still solid, if not as gaudy as maybe we'd hoped or expected. Um, but once he started, um, once his jump shot started falling, all everything else seemed to come together. Um, obviously, Kyrie just going nuts in Game Five was probably even better than a lot of us expected. Um, it's you don't really expect a what he finished with 41, like 70% from the field. Um, 
sort of efficiency we hadn't seen from him in the past. But you really did just see that that confidence tr- uh, trickle down, I think, to everyone on the team. And the way they've pulled it together and turned it around, I don't know that I don't know that I can really put my finger on what they're doing differently. But they just seem to be playing with far more confidence than they did. And quite frankly, they don't look like uh, they don't look like the underdog. I don't think uh, Golden State has somehow turned into the team that's a done it before, but seems incredibly rattled by what. Uh, by the situation they find themselves in while the Cavs are kind of just they seem relaxed and loose and I think that was sort of where they got after they went down 3-1 they said well you know at at least we can go out our way if we're going to lose we'll lose playing the best way that we can and playing the style of ball that we're that we want to and to their credit they've done it incredibly well and it's uh, stretched out to game seven so that's all you can really say I guess. Bill, uh, back to you for uh, and the next question here. I um, I know he does not put up particularly huge numbers, and I know he doesn't play a ton of minutes, but Andrew Bogut, I felt like, was a guy that uh, just with his presence and how we define the that rim protector uh, traditionally really has made the Cavs, he really made the Cavs' life difficult when they were trying to score just by the way he could clog up the lane at the defensive end for Golden State. And then the other thing I feel like he's done a great job with through the season is um, setting screens for their shooters and really, uh, at times, illegally and and pushing the bounds of what you're allowed to do. Um, But I feel like him going away for them for the remainder of the series has really made their life complicated. Do you – are you surprised – um, first, do you agree with that? And second, are you surprised to the level that it seems like they're out of sorts without him on the floor at all? Absolutely. Uh, you know, the one guy in the Raptors series, you go back to that, that kind of made a name for himself was Biombo because he had the two games where he you know, went nuts, grabbed 40 rebounds, and the Cavs lost. And uh, he protected the rim as well. And that was Bogut, what he did do. And the thing that I know, another thing you notice, you guys noticed too in game six is, Tristan Thompson had a double-double at halftime. He controlled the paint. He uh, the, the Cavs got whatever they wanted inside, and that was probably because Bogut was gone. I mean, obviously, Golden State went small with Draymond Green, but uh, Azili did nothing. Uh, he does nothing for me personally. He didn't do anything. And uh, they're, they're going to need some something from somebody because Thompson, as much as he's kind of a lightning rod because of the contract, he, he showed up in that game, and they needed it. And uh, if the Cavs can win the rebounding battle, that's half the – half the battle in these games. I mean, you know me, Tom, you've known me for a while. We, I'm an old school guy. If you win the rebounding battle, you got a good chance to win. Absolutely. I think especially on the offensive side, um, if you can get free possessions out of it, I think that's, that's where he made a name for himself doing that last year and against a team like golden state who can go off at any minute. If you can shorten the game a little bit and get a little bit more time possession on your side, I think that's what Tristan really offers. And yeah, last game he ended up, uh, scoring the ball pretty well too. He was cutting to the basket a couple times and LeBron found him for some really nice plays. Um, so, I mean, what he does, it's more than just rebounding, I think, because he gets you those extra possessions that can be a huge difference maker in those games. There was a huge moment. I think it was early fourth quarter of game six where there was a play where Tristan got the ball off a pick and roll play, came down the lane, the defense collapsed on him and he kicked it out uh, to Kevin Love over in the corner, and Love knocked down the shot, and I think that might have been Love's only field goal of the game. He was kind of limited. We'll talk more about him in a minute, but um, 
I think that was got to be especially frightening for uh, for Golden State. That I mean, Tristan he can rebound the ball, um, he can he can clean it up around the rim in terms of uh, get, getting some points off of putbacks. But if he can facilitate a little bit too, that's uh, that's going to create some real havoc for them. Um, uh, Bill, you mentioned Azili. Trav, let, let's talk about Festus Azili a little bit. I have a feeling we're going to see a little bit of uh, a different look from Golden State just given the fact that they've lost two games now and what's the one thing that you've been telling me about Azili that you've been like basically blowing up my phone with now for six games yeah every time he and I sort of get why they weren't doing it earlier in the series because he's only playing 10-12 minutes a game um but I don't know why when he's out there they're not just fouling him um I he's got if I had to guess he's probably got the worst free throw percentage on either team uh, I know he's right around like 52, 53%. For the playoffs, he's like 44%. Um, and with him taking a lot of those minutes from Bogut, um, A, you can buy yourself rest, essentially, by sending guys to the line. Those are essentially free 20-second timeouts. Um, and second, that's a that's a play where Golden State's not going to hit a three, um, and they're not going to go on a run if you keep slowing the game down like that. It plays counter to everything that they want to do. Um, so yeah, every, I've been saying it since game one, especially when they were doing it to Tristan. I don't know why they don't just do the same thing to Azili and, and slow the game down in those moments, at least at least when Golden State has the ball. I think earlier on in the series, up through maybe even game three or four or five, um, I was totally on board with that. I think one of the reasons the Cavs might not have done that in game six was they had several guys in foul trouble. Uh, and and it led to some really interesting lineups and and some and some guys that you wouldn't necessarily expect getting minutes like Dante Jones in the second quarter. So uh, Mo Williams even came and hit that nice little floater. Yeah, um, Mo Williams. It was surprising how both of those guys came off cold, haven't played many minutes, and both stepped up and made a couple of big plays. Yeah, Bill, I wanted to ask you this. Speaking of those two guys, um, I I felt like the contributions they made. Uh, really kind of, I don't know if they necessarily turn the entire tide of the game, but being able to get away with playing guys like that from the end of the bench who you would not have seen outside of garbage time at any point during the, the playoffs before that. Um, as we look to game seven now, um, we know the stars are going to play well uh, on both sides. I think we all expect everybody to, to have a big game from the headliners. Are there any role players that you're looking for to kind of give you that surprise performance that might swing this game one way or the other? Uh, the guy that stands out is Harrison Barnes. I mean, two of 22 the last two games. And it just feels like I know everybody's down on him. I just feel like he's going to have a good game, <laughs> you know, just to kind of spite us all. And uh, I think he's the guy that if he shoots well, gives Golden State that you know, the third score because the splash brothers, they're going to, they're going to score whether it's efficient or not. Those two are going to score. But if Harrison Barnes can knock down a few shots, which he hasn't done, that's kind of the key player for me for golden state. He has a lot on the line in this game. Cavs have given him a lot of open looks as well. It almost feels like the way the Cavs are setting up their defense to try to shut down some of those other scorers is basically daring Barnes to beat them and saying like, Hey, we're going to give you shots. We don't think you can score, and it's in your head right now. Um, go out and prove us wrong. And to this point, it just seems like he really hasn't. Yeah, uh, and Tom, and yep. you, uh, not to jump in, but 
let's not forget, man, you being an OU grad as well, he's he's on my A-list of guys I can't stand because he hit that shot against the Bobcats a few years ago in the Sweet 16. <laughs> so uh, I, I just feel like he's going to do that despite me personally to go out and have a big game. But, I mean, that's a joke. But all things aside, he you, your point is exactly correct. They, it seems like they're leaving him open. Every time I look up, he's got an open shot. He just not He's not knocking them down. So he's a guy that has to have a game on that side. And then, I think for Cleveland, it's it's more they just got to do more of the same. And if Tristan Thompson shows up like he has and controls the glass, they're going to have a good chance to win. And they were talking about, I mean, not that long ago, Harrison Barnes is a potential max player this offseason, which sounds like it's, I mean, at this point, someone would be crazy to do that considering how he's disappeared uh, this series. But I don't know that anyone's lost himself more money in the last week and a half than Harrison Barnes has. I would say Matthew Dellavedova is going to also be somebody who's lost a ton of money because uh, I, I still think he's not 100% and we don't know the extent of it, but he had a hamstring problem that he played through for a lot of the regular season. And uh, I, I just, he has not looked right. And if you look at his numbers over the the, la- the post-All-Star break uh, uh, games and into the playoffs, and I, I don't think... Um, it, if he was playing up to what he had played uh, last year and, and really uh, up through the first three games of last year's finals, there's no way you'd be seeing Mo Williams in any of these games. And I think it was really indicative of just how much Delhi is struggling that they went to Mo and are probably going to go to Mo again um, in game seven when you need to get Kyrie out of there. But uh, I mean, there was a point earlier in the playoffs where I, you, when we talk about this scenario with um, the salary cap going up, this summer and teams having all this extra money. And I know that um, even Jeff Van Gundy was talking like Dela could get uh, 10 million a year, which always Holy felt, cow. always felt ambitious to me, but uh, he, he was looking at, at Delhi getting some really crooked number uh, this summer. And I can't imagine he's going to be getting anything like that now with um, so if you want to talk about guys who have had their stock hurt, uh, another guy whose stock has been down, even though he's not really going to, have a, a contract situation to worry about this summer necessarily. Uh, Kevin Love, um, just with the foul trouble in game six, really never got into a flow of the game. I felt like in the limited minutes he played, he did a few good things, but I know overall uh, it really felt like uh, Golden State was still trying to attack him specifically as much as possible. Bill, what do you expect out of Kevin Love in game seven? I don't know. <laughs> I know you brought you. Did you bring me on here to tell you? I don't know. It, it, it's uh, it's tough. I, you know, I think I know what they need. They expect from him. They expect from him to, you know, get on the glass a little bit, knock down some open shots and have a good game. But he simply hasn't done that since coming back from the concussion. I think I'm doing this list. And I'll, I mean, I'll give you a little spoiler. We're, we're doing kind of a list of like the 15 guys that have the most to lose tomorrow. And I think from Cleveland's standpoint, he's the player with the most to lose because I, it just feels like if the Cavs lose, he'll be the number one scapegoat. Everybody's going to run straight to Kevin Love and blame him for this loss, especially if he has a bad game. So, uh, you know, I don't know what to expect from him. I, I know what he should do, but uh, he's been an in, inconsistent. Like you said, we didn't really get a good read from it in game six because he got in that early foul trouble. Trent, I, I, let me ask you this. It almost felt a little bit to me like uh, the foul trouble for him in game six might have been a little bit of a blessing just because he does not fare well against that lineup of death for Golden State. 
And that was who they ran out there to start. And he got two fouls within the first 90 seconds. And the Cavs, they had their hand forced and had to go to Jefferson for a lot of that first half. And, and that was really how the Cavs um, were able to build up that lead. Um, is that It's kind of harsh to say that, but are you with me on that or no? Yeah, I honestly think Golden State probably wants Kevin Love out there, um, which is kind of crazy to say considering, I mean, talent-wise and, and overall, not necessarily since he's been back in Cleveland, but uh, with where he is considered, I guess, in the pantheon of current NBA players, he's he's not a guy that, you know, that, that is looked down on or everybody thinks isn't any good, so... Yeah, I think it's just a weird matchup for him. Like he, I thought he played pretty well in the first three series of these playoffs and uh, was sort of building on it. But for whatever reason, against Golden State, he's a bad matchup. Um, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if his minutes tomorrow night are drastically reduced into the maybe 15 to 20-ish range as opposed to the mid-30s that he was putting in before. Um, because Richard Jefferson has given them a lot. And... Uh, athletic the way how he's still playing this uh at this level at this age i'm not sure but he he gave them a ton of valuable minutes he's been really aggressive on offense and defense he's able to guard those guys that kevin love can't um so yeah i'm not sure if it's just a bad matchup or what but i'm with you i think the Cavs tend to look better on both sides when kevin love's not on the floor for better or worse i still feel like there's a place for him in this series and and there are ways that they could use him that are going to be useful and i feel like there are lineups that golden state will trot out there that he is able to play well against um particularly when it doesn't involve him getting matched up with the with draymond um from golden state uh and that and especially anything that doesn't involve that lineup of death with uh, draymond green at the 5 iguodala barnes and then the Splash Brothers in the backcourt. You take that lineup out of there and substitute anybody else in, maybe like an Azili at center or something like that, and I feel like Love might have a better uh, go of it going up against that lineup. And if I'm the Cavs, I would look for more ways to use him in those situations, but uh, we're going to, I guess, just kind of have to see how the game plays out. Um, Bill, let me ask you this. Did... Uh, did the Warriors in the last, uh, either after the game or at any other point, uh, anything you've heard, have, have we gotten any sort of an update on Andre Iguodala? Because it certainly looked like on TV that uh, he was not moving around particularly well in game six because of the back trouble. Yeah, they didn't say anything, but I, I think we can all see it. You know what I mean? The, the back's hurting. This is a team that you know, between losing Bogut, not having Green for suspension, now Iguodala, another key player. I mean, if he if he's not 100, and even Curry, I, I mean, I didn't even mention him. So, no, I mean, there was no mention of that, but I think that's another thing to watch because they he's, a, I guess we've gotten this far and haven't really talked about him. He, he has to have a big contribution as well in Game 7. Yeah, it felt like in the games that, uh, that they've won, and this was absolutely 100% true in the final series last year, he was critical for them in defending LeBron, and that really, I think, is why he got that finals MVP last year, was he was the only guy that was able to have any success, really, in slowing him down. Um, if you're Golden State, uh, and he's kind of hobbled, knowing everything else that you know about their lineup, uh, uh, what do you do? Yeah, you know, that's another – it's a tough tough one. I mean, if they sit him, 
I, I really don't know what the answer is. <laughs> I mean, I guess Barbosa because he played well. He played well in spots in that game uh, Thursday night. He had knocked down. A, he was one of the few guys that knocked down a few shots aside from Curry and Thompson. So I guess maybe more of him. And he he played with some confidence. But I mean, he doesn't offer the same skill set that Iguodala is. Iguodala does obviously so another thing to look at there but you know that that would certainly be if you'd have told me that they'd be in this situation not have Iggy not have Bogut and heading into a game seven that, that's two big problems for them all right uh we're just looking at the big picture here um I, I think the number that I had seen was that no road team has won a game seven in the finals since 1978 is uh do i have that right does anybody anybody back me up on that one i think that's right all right so if if you're the Cavs, obviously you've got the whole curse thing and you're you're in pretty much uncharted territory here with even just getting this thing to a game seven how are you coming out tomorrow night uh, Bill, if you're the Cavs, is it trying to establish LeBron early? Is it trying to get the other guys going early? What what, what are you trying to do there? Okay, yeah, I, I looked this. I I knew. I think I heard Brian Windhorst say this a couple times on the radio on the way back yesterday. So the road team's three and fifteen, right? And I can't take credit for this. He, this is what he said. None of those teams had LeBron. So <laughs> I think this is the LeBron game. It's just give him the ball, get out of the way. If he goes for forty again, great. I mean, obviously they're going to need contributions from Kyrie Tristan and even J.R. Smith I think he's another x-factor player I was thinking about it I mean now that he's an unrestricted free agent I mean is he going to go out and just start slinging it you know slinging up jump shots I know he airballed the first one in game six and kind of I kind of was like "Uh oh but uh I think he's another key player in this game but this is the LeBron game this is the LeBron you go out score 40 get the contributions and see what happens Trev, how are you approaching this if you're the Cavs uh, tipping off tomorrow night? Well, you just kind of have to hope that they play with the same sort of, I guess, loose urgency that they've had the last couple games. They've, I mean, everyone's played pretty well with the exception of Kevin Love. Um, they've been really good at moving the ball around, but also uh, for the first time, we've really seen that that ISO ball that for the last two years we've been screaming about because it gets frustrating and the ball stops moving and it's just Kyrie or LeBron dribbling and shooting. Um, for the first time they're playing that type of ball well, effectively. Um, so, I mean, with what they've done the last two games, you really just want them to, to build on that, stay focused, don't let the crowd play into it. And I don't think they will. Um, personally, I think at this point home court doesn't really make that much of a difference. Um, because, I mean, for all intents and purposes, the momentum is completely shifted, and the Cavs should be the one coming in um, comfortable with nothing to lose, while Golden State should, in theory, have all the pressure on themselves. All right, back to you, Bill. Uh, we know what the Cavs, what we think that the Cavs need to do to get this game uh, started out in their favor. But uh, if you're Golden State, you're you're reeling a little bit here, and you're obviously banged up. Um, just given the events of these last couple games, uh, what do they do? What What are you looking for for them in the first uh, six minutes or so to, to get this game going and try to seize control of it at home and kind of put the Cavs behind the eight ball? 
Yeah, yeah, they got to show up in that first six minutes to start. They didn't do that in game six. Uh, I like that phrase Travis just used, the, the loose urgency. Uh, I might have to use that in an article, and then <laughs> you know what I mean. That, that's good. I, I think that's how they have to play. And uh, as for home court not being an advantage, I agree with that to a point, but the one thing that Cleveland's going to have to avoid is if Golden State goes on in a big a big run at home where they're, they're obviously it's well-documented how good they are there, that's going to be a problem, especially – with that stat that, you know, we mentioned it's 15 and three or whatever. So I think Golden State gets off to a good start and tries to clog things up for LeBron a little bit, not give him anything, you know, too free in the lane. And I know that's better, easier said than done. And then just have a big first half out of Clay Thompson and, you know, and have Curry not get in foul trouble. That's a lot of things they need to do. But, uh, you know, I think if they do all that and trust being at home, they're going to be in good shape. All right. Uh, we are not uh, not typically in the uh, the prediction business around here. That has not served us particularly well in the past. So um, I, I'm going to kind of just open up the floor here as we start to wind this episode down. Uh, Trav, any aspect of this game that you are going to be keeping an eye on? Anything in particular that's on your mind that we might not have touched on to this point? Um, truly, one of the biggest things I want to see the Cavs do early and often is attack Curry. Um, we saw last game, and I don't think it was. I don't think it's just because he was in foul trouble. I think uh, Kyrie Irving has outplayed him big time, and I, I think we're seeing. We've heard that all this whole season, um, basically because it's been the Steph Curry celebration, um, that he's an underrated defender, and and mostly people just look at his steals numbers and assume that he's a good defender, Kyrie's been eating him alive. Um, he looks horrible on defense, and I want to see the Cavs constantly go at him. I th- we saw it last game, and I think I probably texted it to you. Um, they need to be running pick-and-roll switches that end up with either LeBron or Kyrie on Curry as often as possible because I'm not sure if it's if it's that he's a little hampered by injury because we've heard that maybe he's, he's not totally 100%. Um, or what the case is, but they've been going to town on him when, when he's on both of them. So I, I want to see them do that early and often either. And I think that either ends up with them getting a uh, pretty good offensive rhythm or getting Curry into foul trouble. One of the two, and both of those are good for them. Definitely seems like the Cavs have flipped the script a little bit and how the Warriors have made a, a living off of relentlessly attacking Kevin Love in pick and roll situations and you could see it every time down the floor offensively the Cavs are running those pick and roll plays to try to get Curry uh, onto LeBron especially and and also just some situations with uh with Kyrie um I I, I agree with you I think that's definitely gonna be something to look for Bill um how about you what, what else are you looking for tomorrow night yeah those were all good points I, I think obviously the game that I keep going back to that I th- how I think or how at least I want this game to play out is uh, that Cleveland and Boston game with LeBron game seven, the Eastern conference semifinals game, 2008, you know, Pierce and LeBron went back and forth. It was a really great game. I know the Cavs lost that game. So I'm not saying I want the Cavs to lose, but LeBron scored 45. It was an amazing game to watch and how it unfolded. And I, that's kind of what I want. I want these teams to go back and forth. Honestly, I was a little shocked that, Golden State was favored by five or six. I thought this would be almost like an even money line. Um, 
because I think it's going to be that kind of game. I mean, the, the one thing for all the, the drama in this finals that we've had, the games have been pretty bad. So I'm hoping we get a really good game. I mean, obviously, you know, the Ohio part of me wants Cleveland to win. I'll say that on your show. I don't care. Um, but uh, nobody from you know, our I mean, audience is going to fight you on that. That, that uh, Nobody's going to get mad. But nope. I mean, objectively speaking, I think, you know, probably favors Golden State slightly because they're at home. But I think it's a 50-50 game, and I just want it to be, you know, a show for Curry, LeBron, and, and a game that we all remember. And it's obviously on Father's Day, and for a guy not to go on some weird tangent, but, you know, I lost my father a couple years ago. So it's kind of a nice gift for me to be able to sit and think of, you know, would I sit here with my dad and watch this game and how fun that would be. So I, I think it's a treat for everybody. I uh, I am with you in that I think this is going to be a close game. Uh for number one, we're just due. I mean, it's never happened before to have a final series with six games all decided by more than 10 points. So the law of averages tells me that it just, it feels like we're going to have to uh, have a close game here at some point. And you just, the way finals game or, or game sevens tend to go. And, and I, I just, I have a hard time envisioning a scenario where this gets out of hand one way or the other. Um, so if I am going to get into the prediction business at all, I, I do feel like we're setting up for a pretty close game. So, um, <clears throat> excuse me, it's uh, it's going to be exciting, and uh, I, I know we're going to be all on uh, on pins and needles here. So, uh, Trav, any last thoughts before we get out of here? I, I have a, I have one question. Sure, um, I'll give it to both of you. Is is there any way someone else wins MVP of this series, and who would it be? Like, it seems like LeBron is so far ahead of everyone. I understand that typically you got to win to win MVP, but he's been, I mean, you'd have a hard time putting a case together for someone else over him, I think, right? I don't think anybody else should win it, but if Golden State wins and Curry is, you know, as long as Curry's not horrible, given, I think they would just give it to him as like, uh, like that one year that they gave it Peyton Manning MVP of the Super Bowl um, when he was with the Colts, I believe. I mean, it's, uh, it's one of those deals where I think he would get it, even though LeBron deserves it. But I don't, if I were voting on it, I even going into game seven, there's nobody else I would vote for other than LeBron James. I guess the argument with Curry, especially if he has a big game seven would be, um, you would point to that and say like, well, see when he shows up and has a huge game, they win. And when he didn't play well, that was when, when they lost. So, um, Although I don't think he's been particularly overwhelmingly great in in any of these earlier games, he's had a couple of games that were pretty decent. It, it just I can't remember the last time we had a scenario where uh, an MVP of a series came from a losing team. Um, so if it is a situation where Golden State wins uh, tomorrow night, um, I do think that uh, it would go to to somebody on Golden State. But um, I, I'm with you guys. I. I think LeBron's been the most complete player and uh, by a wide margin. And if there was ever a scenario that uh, a, a player from a losing team could win a finals MVP, I think this would be it. But um, hey, hopefully we don't have to find out. So, all right, uh, Bill, any last thoughts from you? No, I just wanted to thank you guys for having me on. This was a, a lot of fun. And, you know, as a, like I said, Ohio kid that grew up and so I'm not, you know, I didn't grow up in Cleveland, definitely grew up in the central Ohio area, but I think 
you know, just to see the excitement for Cleveland tomorrow. I, I, I hope they get it done. You know, 1964, it's been long enough. And, you know, just best of luck to all the Cavs fans out there. Well, we certainly appreciate that, and uh, we really appreciate you coming on here. I was, uh, I'd had you on my uh, my list of uh, potential future guests. I was thinking uh, college football season because we didn't even really get into that, but uh, that's really uh, where you've uh, been uh, excelling here in the in the last uh, few years or so with the uh, sporting news, and uh, you do a great job with the college football stuff. So now we have an excuse to have you back on in uh, in the fall, but. Um, in the meantime, we uh, you've been killing it with the NBA final stuff. Uh, I do want to let everybody know um, before we let Bill get out of here that uh, you can uh, you can read all of his work on uh, SportingNews.com and make sure you're following him on Twitter at BillBender92. Uh, so, uh, Bill, anything else you want to plug before you get out of here? No, yeah, just check out our Game Savage. Game seven coverage tomorrow. I'll be here in Ohio uh, watching from here. Uh, our lead NBA writer, Sean Devaney, does an outstanding job, and I'll be helping it. And again, I would love to come back on as we get closer to college football season. Like you said, that's kind of my main beat. And, uh, you know, just covering the Big Ten with Urban Meyer and Jim Harbaugh and uh, Mark D'Antonio, that's its own. I, I can't wait. It'll be fun. And, uh, you know, hopefully if you guys want to have me back on, we can talk about that a little bit next time. Definitely. Absolutely. Because uh, as Trav will back me up on this, we love talking college football um, uh, almost as much as uh, NBA and, and for Trav, maybe even more so as a, a, a Buckeye uh, over there. But uh, yeah, it's not like the Browns are giving us a whole lot to talk about during the <laughs> yeah, fall. Yeah, we got to find something to talk about in fall. And the Browns aren't exactly compelling for, for no. multiple reasons. No, but uh, what is compelling is uh, an NBA Finals Game 7, more so when when your team is in it, and uh, that is the situation that we will find ourselves in here uh, uh, a little more than uh, a day from now. And uh, I can't wait. Uh, In the meantime, though, uh, everybody listening, uh, uh, you can always uh, catch us on our uh, website, uh, thenailpodcast.com, and we are on iTunes and Google Play Music and Stitcher. So uh, go find us on your favorite podcast app and uh, subscribe there. Uh, One way or another, we are going to be back this week uh, to sort out the epic conclusion of this series, uh, this finals. Uh, It's been something else. Um, Our thanks again to Bill Bender for joining us, uh, Bill of the uh, Sporting News. For Travis Uli, I'm Tom Valentino. This has been the nail in the coffin. Cavs, Warriors, Game 7. Let's do this, Cleveland. What was it like to be there for historical sports moments and unforgettable performances? To be behind the scenes? On Press Box Access, you'll hear from me, Todd Jones, and other sports writers about their experiences with the greatest athletes, coaches, and sports events of the past half century. We'll share some stories behind the stories, some big, some small, and some we've only told each other. Let us buy you around on Press Box Access.